Hi, this is Kate from ADHDKidsCanThrive.com. Thank you for listening. My guest is Dr. Bill Dotson, board-certified adult psychiatrist who was one of the first practitioners to specialize in adults with ADHD over 25 years ago. Over the last several years, Dr. Dotson has changed the emphasis of his practice from direct patient care to writing and speaking about and consulting on ADHD medicine. On today's episode, Dr. Dotson shares with us the basics and understanding in ADHD medication and how it can help a person with ADHD. He has a lot of wisdom and expertise to share with us, so enjoy the show. Okay, Dr. Dotson, I'm really looking forward to talking to you today and having um, a conversation about getting an education in medication, if you will. Okay. And I asked you onto this podcast to to help parents who are raising ADHD children um, to overcome any anxiety or fear or questions that they have about using medication if their child's been diagnosed with ADHD. So let's just start off from the from the top, if you will. Is in my experience, I think most parents would prefer to find another way than using medication when their child has ADHD. So my question is, why is the protocol with the diagnosis of ADHD, it's pretty much use medication and therapy. So for today, we're just gonna talk about the medication piece. So why is that? Well, because it works best, by far the best. Um, there are 13 different international guidelines on the diagnosis and treatment of ADHD at all ages. Every single one of them, without exception, says that medications are the place to start. They are by far the most effective, safest, best known, easy to use um, modality of treatment there is. There's there's just no discussion about that any longer. Uh, what we're really talking about nine times out of ten is uh, not really the medications, but the parents' anxiety. Right. Uh, in in what other illness could you possibly name where the the doctor says, "I think your da- daughter has diabetes," and the person goes oh, no, I'd like to try something other than the standard treatment. Or if somebody has heart disease, oh, no, I don't want the standard best treatment. I'm afraid of it. It's it's the fear of the treatment. It's it's backwards. Yeah, Uh, why is that? uh, The reason is, and most people are old enough, uh, are not old enough to remember where all of this started. Back in the 1970s, the Church of Scientology had a very uh, vigorous disinformation campaign. And what they did was they would file lawsuits against the makers of the two most prescribed medications for adults. The one they chose was Prozac, because it had just come on the market and just transformed the treatment of depression. And for children, which at the time was Ritalin. 
and they would file lawsuits claiming all sorts of nonsense, and it would make the front page of the newspaper. And then some month, some months later, they would just drop the suit. But what they got was millions of dollars of free advertising from uh, what was then a lively uh, source of information, uh, newspapers. Newspapers have about died out now. But what people would hear was, oh, these, these medications are dangerous. They're doing damage to people. They're causing them to go crazy. They're causing drug addiction. All of these accusations that had not one ounce worth of truth in it. But because they were so, so juicy, they made the front page of every newspaper in the country. And so they did that for a period of probably eight to nine years. Um, and when it when the uh, news media finally caught on that they were being manipulated, um, they, they stopped running these uh, stories. And so it didn't have any more uh, power to it. Yeah, I think social media <laughs> still does a good job. It's maybe not coming from Scientology, but, but you know, there's always a headline that comes around that says like ADHD isn't real. Well, in Church of Scientology is still behind it. They just know that their brand name uh, is not particularly well respected anymore. People don't right don't pay that much attention to it. But again, what they've done a wonderful job of, and it really ought to be at Harvard Business School as a case example, is that they've switched things. They have put the idea in the mind of people that it's the treatment of the disorder that um, that is dangerous, not the disorder itself. They've reversed it. And, right. And people don't even know what happened. Uh, but that is a, when people are very anxious, it's because they think the treatment is dangerous. And they never stop to think about all of the many ways that untreated ADHD destroys lives. Right. Uh, if you look, and we could run through them because they, they go on forever. Uh, 80% of people who drop out of high school before getting a high school diploma and render themselves unemployable in this day and age, 80% have untreated ADHD. Mm -hmm. People who are uh, drug addicts, uh, drug abusers, 60% have ADHD. I mean, the question for most parents is not whether their child takes medication. It's who gives it to them. Uh, your kids, right, with the self-medication, yeah. Your kids will medicate their ADHD, and especially the hyperactive component and the insomnia. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's really not your choice is whether or not the kid will take medication. It's whether I prescribe it very carefully and exactly so it has no side effects, or they get it from some pimply-faced kid sitting next to them at a party who says, here, take this, it's great. Right. You know, adolescents, we all were adolescents at one time. 60% um, of impulsive uh, ADHD kids will grab it and take it. Yeah. Without any thought of it. Yeah. And there's probably no town small enough that you haven't heard of some kid dying at a uh, party of an overdose of fentanyl. Right. 
I mean, it's, it's getting yeah. The ADHD impulsive yeah. kids are really at risk of that, right? Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, and, and, and of self medication, it, it's yeah. not pleasant to have ADHD, and so the kids are going to self medicate. Drug of choice is actually marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's the one they go to first, um, but it's not the last one they try. Yeah, the uh, accidents, which are the leading cause of death, until you're forty four. Go up four hundred percent out of wedlock pregnancies, unplanned out of wedlock pregnancies, go up a thousand percent, tenfold. Um, being involved in the juvenile justice system goes up seven hundred percent, and if you are arrested, uh, doing time in jail goes up nine hundred percent. And we could go on and on. Yeah. Uh, all of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll that parents worry about uh, increase at least fourfold just by virtue of a child having ADHD. Yeah. And here's the point that really matters. If you treat the ADHD, in every case, the risk goes down to that of the general population. Oh, um, that's significant. That's the significant part. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things about ADHD that are much higher. We don't know why. Uh, serious heart disease is double in kids with ADHD. Nobody knows why. Um, but what we know is the medications don't make that risk worse. Uh, you, you don't. If a kid has heart disease, it doesn't matter because these medications don't make it worse. Mm-hmm. So. What we know is all of those risks, you know, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll that parents worry about uh, with their kids are going to be at least four times higher in kids with ADHD, but treatment returns that risk to that of the general population. Treatment is protective, not harmful. Yeah, especially in those teenage years. Or junior high, I would say, as soon as fifth grade hits. It starts at age 14 and just goes up from there. Yeah. And then you you really need to hold on to your hat because it gets really interesting. Yeah. Um, interesting. That's a, that's a good euphemism. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. So here's um, just some of my questions. So why do some people with ADHD need medication and some do not? Well, the universe is on a bell-shaped curve. Um some have a little of something, some have a lot, and it's that's the way the universe is. And so you're going to have some people who have severe ADHD, some who don't. We don't know for sure, we have some ideas, but we don't know for sure what causes ADHD. You know, the things that we do know for sure is that it's genetic. Um, that if you have a child with ADHD, one of the parents has ADHD. Right. And this is also uh, an issue that rarely gets talked about. Uh, The leading cause of treatment failure is failure to treat the parent. Now, the doctor put together the world's best treatment plan, but if he hands it off to a parent with untreated ADHD, the chances of it uh, being implemented are pretty close to zero. Um, It's... The person with the the parent with ADHD just can't get it together to get the right medication in the kid at the right time 
consistently every day. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, and there's that also that what we call genetic guilt. People with ADHD and they are the ones they know their kid got the ADHD from. They just feel terrible about it. And there's no reason why they should, but they do. Um, and so I think that's also a hazard is that uh, the, the starting medication makes it real. Uh, you know, my kid has this significant condition um, and it's my fault and I just don't want to acknowledge that. So I'm going to uh, uh, say that I'm protecting my child from this awful treatment. Now, that happens more often than you think. No, I know. And I've heard, or they say that the parent got through, they got through life, right? So, yeah, and they've done my so kid. Well. Yeah. And so my kid will, my yeah. kid will figure it out and they'll get through life as well. Yeah. Sink or swim. Everybody goes by and tosses their, their, their young child into the pool and say, well, they'll swing, sink or swim. Yeah. I mean, that, that's already telling you a lot about the parents' uh, parenting style. When, most parents have their kid and they see their kids struggling. They lend a helping hand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, medication is one way um, to absolutely help things. So let me ask you just like on the basics of like ADHD medication. It, I think people know it can help with focus, right? But ADHD is a lot of other things besides just not being able to focus. Right. So um, can a parent turn to medication to help with like impulsivity? They need a different medication than the stimulants. Okay. We have two two major classes. One is the, and I always want to put air quotes. I hate it when people do that, but I do it myself. They are stimulant medications. That is not the mechanism of action for ADHD. They Wait, have, the stimulants are not for ADHD? No. The stimulation part of the molecule is not where the benefits for ADHD come from. Okay. That's just a coincidence, just a dumb coincidence. Uh, it's another aspect of the molecule that helps for ADHD. Uh, but what the ADHD medications do, the, the stimulant medications do, is that if you are already engaged with a, uh, a task, it keeps you from being distracted. They are anti-distraction medications. But as you point out, there's a whole lot more to ADHD. There's the impulsive com component. There's the hyperarousal. Uh, little kids, it's external. We call it hyperactivity because we can see it. Then as it goes inside and the person sort of apparently calms down on the outside, we refer to it as hyperarousal because they're still going 90 miles an hour on the inside. Right. There's emotional dysregulation. Uh, people with ADHD experience their emotions much more intensely uh, and with with no warning at all. Uh, and so they tend to be very intensely emotional people. Uh, they have insomnia. They can't turn their brains and bodies off to go to sleep. Oh, yeah. um, they're never at peace. Uh, ask your kid, look back over your entire life, can you remember a period of time longer than about five minutes in which you've been both mentally and physically at peace? 
99 times out of 100, you'll get this laugh. But are you kidding me? No, I am never at peace. I am always going 90 miles an hour. It's just inside and you don't see it. Right. Uh, And they also have tremendous rejection sensitivity. Um, uh, The question that, that I ask is, look back over your entire life. Have you always been much more sensitive than other people you know through rejection, teasing, criticism, or your own perception that you failed or fallen short, which is the definition right out of an old psychiatric textbook of a technical term, rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Mm -hmm. Now, all of these things respond beautifully to another class of medication called the alpha agonists. Oh, that's a big word. (laughs) And that's the shortened version. The actual version is alpha-2A-specific adrenergic receptor agonists. That's the full name. So that's what Okay. That's a class of medication that kind of helps with all those other things. Right. Is that and you've heard of, of the medications of clonidine and guampacine or intunin is one of the okay. And that helps with all the rest. It helps with the hyperarousal, it helps with the impulsivity, it helps with sleep, it helps slow people down so that they can actually experience periods of peace where they don't have to be doing something and okay. they do it without sedating the person the, the term in the field is that with these medications they allow you to tap the brakes by adjusting the dose you can decide exactly where they come in for a nice smooth landing okay uh and so these That's are good to know clonidine and guanfacine Mm-hmm. They're, they're FDA approved for ADHD, the hyperactive component of ADHD. And again, when you find the right medication at the right dose, they're essentially without side effects. Okay. And then how does a parent and a child, depending on the child's age, the parent may need to get involved with the doctor about whether a med is working or not working. Okay. Like how long do you go on a med before... You say, yes, this is a go, or no, this isn't working. Okay. I'd like for your listeners to draw an upside-down V. Um, and that that's the dose-response curve to all the medications for ADHD. That as you go up that left side of the V, what you see is improvement in the person's ADHD and no side effects other than a mild loss of, of appetite and kids who are already skinny, picky eaters. It's, it's never happens to fat kids. And it keeps on going up to a point where you get optimal performance and no side effects. If you go beyond that, performance drops off the right side of that V, you lose performance, and that's where you pick up side effects. So a kid who has side effects other than that mild loss of appetite, the dose is too high. And you need okay. to get down on the dose. What we do is what's called a target symptom titration. Again, fancified words. And what that means is you ask the question, what is it about my child's ADHD that gets in his way of showing how bright and clever he is? Um, people with ADHD are much smarter than the general population. 
the average IQ is 123, which wow. is enough yeah. IQ to get a doctoral degree. Uh, they're also clever. Uh, they are wonderful problem solvers. They come up with solutions that nobody else would ever come up with. Yeah. They're funny kids. Uh, they're playful. They have all the latest jokes. Um, so they they have, we, we talk about all the detrimental things that happen with ADHD. ADHD gives a lot of positives that we tend to overlook mm -hmm. and that are not lost when you start somebody on medication. So you choose things that do get in their way, such as uh, they procrastinate. They put off everything till the last possible moment. Uh, That's like they, the number one symptom, isn't it? <laughs> of, of ADHD, procrastination. Right, procrastination. Or uh, distractibility. They, yeah. okay. uh, they can read about one page of a book and then their mind is off in la-la land. Um, that they're impulsive. They say things, do things that they immediately want back, but it's too late. They have uh, flashes of temper, uh, what they call bottle rocket temper. Yeah. It's over and done with very quickly. They're gone, moving on with their lives while everybody else is still getting up off the floor. Um, so you list all the different features of ADHD that cause that person difficulty. And that's what you're going to look to the medication. How well is the medication controlling these impairments? Now, if, if you look at the 18 criteria for ADHD, we have all done every single one of them. Um, so that's what makes people say, oh, you know, everybody does that. Well, they forget the other five things you have to have to get the diagnosis of ADHD. Those features have to be um, pervasive, consistent, um, and lasting. And the big one is impairing. They have to be there all the time, as uh -huh. far back as the person can go, and across uh, situations, uh, whether it's, it has to be in school and at home, it can't just be one place. But the big part is these are more than lovable little traits and quirks. They have to be impairing. Yeah. So we look for those things which are impairing the child's performance. One of the biggest ones that gets overlooked, and I want to emphasize it most, is that it makes them so impulsive that they don't have any friends. They never learn to take turns. They're loud. They're intrusive. They butt into conversations. It's this uh, impulsivity uh, that keeps them from having friends. There's a very good article that 75% of children with ADHD by the third grade does not have a single friend. Oh, that makes me, I know, makes me sad. Okay, let me ask you, Donna, is there a, is it about a third of kids with ADHD have impulsivity symptoms? All of them do. All and of them do. One way or another. Again, okay. what happens is usually people who don't have ADHD, neurotypical people. Yeah. When we have something coming up, we have about two seconds in which to look at it, think about it. Oh, I don't want to do that. There are severe consequences. And to be able to direct it 
to some other expression or not being expressed at all. Kids with ADHD don't have that two seconds and wish to see it come up and redirect it. Yeah. They find out what they're thinking and feeling in the same way that everybody else does. It's out there. And they're going, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I'd had that lack of, of impulsivity that allowed me to control what I say and do. Yeah. Okay. So every ADHD kid person, super. kid has, okay, has some level of impulsivity going on. Yes. By, by, by definition. Okay. Uh, we've got, they've got the, the four features that define the syndrome are high distractibility, high impulsivity, uh, high energy, whether it's inside or out, and a difficulty with it with controlling the expression of their emotions. What's now called emotional dysregulation. Yeah. I'm not real fond of that term, but that's what you'll find if you look it up in a book. Right. Okay. And are girls a little bit different? Girls are a lot different. Yeah. Okay. If you have a girl with ADHD, go ahead and get one of the better books, um, uh, Girls with ADHD by Pat Quinn and Kathleen Nadeau was the very first one. It's still sort of the standard. Okay. That you look for older women. Sari Solden's book, Women and ADHD, is still the classic uh, for the effects of ADHD on your marriage. Uh, people with ADHD have double the rate of separation and double the rate of uh, divorce. Um, so again, it can ADHD continues to have impairments yeah. throughout the life cycle. And the classic book there is Melissa Orlov's uh, The Effects of ADHD on Marriage. Yeah, all I've seen are, her. Yeah. Uh, all of those are books where you start, you're highlighting, you know, the, the really good stuff. And you look at the book. And it's completely highlighted. Yeah. <laughs> it leaves out maybe two words that didn't get highlighted. They're all just really, really great books. Uh, nothing's come along that really, uh, uh, there's some that are as good, but none better. Yeah, those are good resources. So, um, so what we do is we fine tune the dose of uh, medication with kid, little kids. We change the dose every week. And we have the parent and the teacher fill out a behavioral form. The standard one that's used uh, is the Connor Global Index Scale. And it, it rates the kid and compares them to other children, their gender, their age. And um, each week you do it. And what you're looking for is that score should decline as long as each time you increase the medication, the child gets better, that score should get lower. When it hits six, that's a that's a non-ADHD child. Or you see it going down and then levels out. You go to the place where it levels out because increasing the dose is not improving the child's performance. Now, then this, the response rate to each stimulant medication is only 70%. So if you started off with a methylphenidate product, 70% of kids and parents are going to go, oh, wow, this is a great medication, changes my child's life, no side effects, I love this medication. 30% are going to go either 
I, my kid doesn't tolerate it or my kid doesn't respond to it. If that happens, you try the other molecule because it has a 70% response rate, but it's a different 70% of people. Yeah. So it's a kind of an experiment for a while. It's exactly that. It, it, you, it requires some work up front to find the right molecule and the right dose. And what you're looking for is the lowest dose that gives maximum performance. And with little kids who can't give you feedback, this um, Connor Global Index Scale, you get one at home, one from the school, and you score them and graph them out. And it's where you stop seeing further improvement. Yeah, okay. With small children, with children under the age of 15, the dose changes from time to time. And so the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that you readjust the medication once a year. Most parents do it in August before the school year starts. Remembering that it can go down just as often as up. Now, sometimes mom will bring in the kid and he's gained 40 pounds. He's playing football now and working out. And she says, well, we need to raise the dose. My response is maybe yes, maybe no. We go back, we lower the dose and titrate it back up to, again, find that child's optimal dose. Yeah, and were you kind it. of alluding to the fact that maybe exercise and stuff plays a role in how much medication? Um, exercise is about the only thing other than medication that has shown consistent benefits, strong consistent benefit in the treatment of ADHD, but it's not for everybody. It's about 12% of people can treat their ADHD with aerobic exercise. Okay. Um, um, the trade-off is about for every one hour of aerobic exercise, I mean, really strong exercise, you get about four hours of uh, benefit that is as, is as good as medication. Um, and so what you'll hear is I've got a guy who's a lawyer. He lives 30 miles away from downtown Denver. He rides his bicycle 30 miles in, hell-bent for leather every morning. He lawyers, then he uh, goes and cycles over lunch. Lawyers, again, rides his bike 30 miles back. And that's how he's treated his ADHD his entire life. I get these folks when they get their ACL tear, they can't exercise, and all of a sudden it looks like they hit a brick wall and they can barely function because they don't have other compensations for their ADHD. Right, right. <laughs> and the thing is, is, some people find, again, because they're so bright, because they're so clever, they find hundreds of compensations. Yeah. Good for them. I'm very happy for them. And uh, right now we're working on a book that just is a list of things that people have found that, that help. But the medication is still going to make a dramatic difference in how well the person functions. In medicine, we have a thing called effect size. Uh, it's how well does this treatment work as compared to all the others they might have tried. Just about everything in medicine comes in between 0.4, which is barely but consistently detectable, and one, which is very robust. If you choose the right 
stimulant medication at the right dose, it comes in at 1.8. Oh, okay. It's that much better than anything else in medicine. The alpha agonists, if you choose the right medication at the right dose, they come in at 1.3. So again, this is my is the medication working? How can you miss that? The most effective medicines in all of of of, of practice of medicine, not just psychiatry or pediatrics, but medicine. These, if they're not changing your child's life, you've got the wrong molecule, or what is most common is the dose is too low. Uh, people are again so anxious that they treat to the first sign of positive benefit and stop, and they leave half the benefit of the medication on the table. Oh, interesting. Okay, and that's in, good. In the MTA study, uh, which is the largest, longest study of ADHD ever done, of any condition in children ever done, uh, they had a, a community wing. And that's what happened every single time was that the pediatricians treated for the first sign of positive benefit and stopped. And three years later, when they came back, they had not increased the dose to get full benefit. The problem is people stop too early or they get one side effect, throw up their hands and go, I'm not taking this medication. Yeah, yeah. Let's say the medications, if they occur, are extremely minor, extremely transient. And again, that's where this anxiety business uh, comes back in is they never stick around long enough to actually fine tune the medication. And they're getting, unfortunately, they don't get a lot of help from their pediatrician. Yeah, it's important to go to a professionally trained doctor, right? Like a psychiatrist. Well, no, that's not the thing you like. Well, um, you go to somebody who likes doing ADHD work and does it well. Uh, 93% of adult psychiatry residencies do not mention ADHD in four years of training. So you've got a nine out of 10 chance that you're going to go to a psychiatrist who has had no experience whatsoever in the treatment of ADHD. Oh. So go to a CHAD meeting or an uh, ADA, uh, Attention Deficit Disorder Association meeting, uh, and you can find them online yeah. where they are, and talk to the people there. What docs know what they're doing? Which ones don't know what they're doing and need to be avoided? And go to somebody who knows how to fine tune these medications, who like working with people with ADHD, who know what they're doing, who know how to fine tune the medication. Yeah. Once you find that, then you can go back to your pediatrician, then you can go back to your general practitioner and just have them continue to prescribe that medication and dose. Once the dose of stimulant medication, once the dose of alpha agonist, uh, once the patient gets to be 16 and you know what that dose is, it locks in and doesn't change the rest of your life. So adults, once they find their medication and dose, they can go to any willing provider and continue to get, excuse me, to get their prescriptions. Okay. But go to somebody who likes doing ADHD work. And it doesn't matter what, you know, it can be a family practitioner, an internist, um, I've got an ophthalmologist in one town who has ADHD himself, 
And he does a marvelous job of fine-tuning the medication. So everybody goes to the ophthalmologist to get their ADHD medication and goes back to their primary care doc to get the prescriptions filled for the rest of their life. Yeah, okay. So if somebody wanted to come see you, are you practicing or are you? Uh, no, I'm. Yeah, but I'm can you cross? Can you retired. can you cross state lines to? No. Okay, that's what I was wondering. You, okay, could during COVID, but those rules were rescinded just last week. Oh, they were okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now you have to be the doctor has to be licensed in the state where the patient resides. Okay. So I would, if somebody from Florida called me, I'd have to be licensed in Florida. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. But uh, I am bringing out a book. Uh, we've got a proposal from Oxford University Press. It's a book on how to practice ADHD medicine that is simple enough, not simple enough, straightforward enough uh, that patients and doctors can sit down and just go through the book step by step, shows you exactly how to fine tune the medication, handle side effects, uh, work with coexisting conditions, and we hope to have it out by Christmas. Okay, congratulations. All right, it's 20 years of work. See what it has to offer your child. Yeah, especially if your child's really struggling. Yes. I think if they're struggling socially, academically, and they're not able to participate in life, that it's definitely worth looking yeah. into. Uh, the other thing is that medication alone doesn't work. Uh, it gets your child into the game on a level playing field for the first time. And that is huge, life-changing, but it's not enough. Yeah. Um, right now, the... The whole notion of what ADHD is, and you and I can set up another time to talk about this, is that it's not really a disorder, uh, that it's a second nervous system that works perfectly well by its own rules and principles. Ask somebody with ADHD, look back over your entire life, if you've been able to get engaged and stay engaged, had you ever found anything you couldn't do? And this is what's so frustrating to parents is that they see sometimes when the kid has, just locks in on something that they're doing and they're undistractable. And it's hard for them to shift to something new. Or an adult who says, you know, if I can get engaged and stay engaged, I've never found anything I couldn't do. I can do anything. So it's not that people with ADHD are broken or defective, which is our unfortunately, our current theory. It's what matters is the situation that the person is in. If the person can get engaged, they can do anything, and then the medication helps them stay engaged. Once you know how to do both of those, then you've got somebody who's going to be a world leader. Yeah. Uh, but they have to learn the, once they get in the game on a level playing field, they then have to learn the rules. So it's, a lot of people will get the medications, the medications will, um, will work great, but the child will still have some impairments, such as getting started, getting engaged, um, that they still have to work on 
And it's a very specific type of therapy. The therapies that we've tried thus far really haven't worked. So we can talk about that later if you want. Yeah, then, no, I agree. It's like um, medication isn't a silver bullet, right? It doesn't right. solve all your problems. Parent right. education, right. other support right. for your child is right. all necessary and required as well. Yeah. One last thing, and that is what people are really anxious about is that they're afraid they are going to get criticized. You put your child on medication? How could you do that to your child? Now, that usually comes from somebody that, what, what I call an Aunt Sally, my family. Aunt Sally is often in error, but never in doubt. Uh, and uh, she goes around the world telling people what they did wrong. Um, so they're afraid that if they start their kid on medication, they are going to be criticized. What they need to know is that somebody they really care about is going to criticize them if they don't give medication a try. Remember that five or 10 years from now, your child is going to come to you and ask you the following question that you need to be prepared to answer. They're going to say, Mom, Dad, let me get this straight. You know, five years ago, you saw me struggling. I was making deeds and Fs in school. I had no friends at all. I couldn't get to sleep at night. I was desperately unhappy. And you knew there was this medication that was completely safe that could have changed all that. And let me get this straight. You did nothing. It started right now because you're going to need five years, 10 years to have an answer about why you saw your kids struggling and you didn't do anything. Yeah, but geez, that's rough. <laughs> Tough talk by Dr. Dotson. But it's true. Yeah. I'm just warning you, that's coming. I can tell you that in 40 years worth of practice, I have never once, out of my thousands of patients, had anybody say, gee, I'm glad I waited that extra decade to start medication. Yeah, I know. I mean, I've talked on this podcast to adults who are just advocating, who are professionals, and they do this advocacy because they want to help parents help their child, the next generation, do better, I think, for ADHD kids than what they feel like happened for them. Yes. And I think you are doing your child no favors, no favors at all, by waiting. Yeah. Or hoping for the best. Yeah, yeah. Or you'll grow out of it. This is a genetic disorder. No one ever grows out of ADHD. Let's be clear about that. It does not happen. Yeah. So you're just kidding yourself into doing nothing. Yeah. And that's going to come up and bite you very soon. Yeah. It's a tough journey, but it doesn't have to be. No, it doesn't. There's, you know, there's ways to help. Oh, and ADHD kids are wonderful kids. Yes, they are. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thank you, Dr. Dotson. Okay.